This is a recording made in the chapel of the opened book and we are dealing with the epistle to the Colossians and this is number seven of the series. We have been looking at the first chapter and have reached the um, verse 23 with which a new section commences. We have in front of us both those of you who are sitting in this chapel and those of you who are using this tape recording, you will have in front of you the structural outline. Uh, shall we just give that a moment or two before we take up any one part? First of all, you will see that there is a balance in this epistle between the doctrine that is enunciated in chapter 1 and the practice which, uh, as it were, grows out of it in chapter 4. That is a character of Paul's epistles and it should be a character of all our teaching and the way in which this word acts within us. The emphasis, of course I've missed out many features, it's not to be taken as a complete literary structure, but just a few salient points. The emphasis in chapter 1, verse 25, our version says, to fulfill the word of God. Well, that is a bit misleading, because the word to fulfill would suggest to the mind that Isaiah or the Psalms or something had made a prophecy and now in this epistle that is being fulfilled. Well, that isn't what he said. That isn't what he said at all. This word means to complete, not to fulfill, but to fill up. And it's a question that I think we ought to put to ourselves and put to our friends. Have you a complete Bible? Well, they may say, yes, I have, and they pick up their Bible, and they flick it through, here it is, Genesis, here it is, Revelation. Complete Bible. No pages out, no. Well, shut the book then, and just give me, in your own words, what the Apostle said in Ephesians 1, 1 to 14. Just your own words. There's any amount of godly people who could tell you right off what it says in the Sermon on the Mount, or what it says in John 14, who are absolutely stumped with regard to what it says in Ephesians, Philippians, or Colossians. I say those people have an incomplete Bible. For if you have the law, and the prophets, and the Psalms, the Gospels, the Acts, the earlier epistles, and the book of the Revelation, and you do not know the crowning testimony of the mystery epistles, You've got a truncated pyramid. You have a pyramid which doesn't finish. And you haven't put the, com the top stone on. The top stone is a complete little pyramid all to itself. You put it on and the whole thing's complete. All headed up in Christ. So that's what he meant. We'll come to its context presently. And then if you'll look down into the, the uh, corresponding chapter 4 verse 3, he's still concerned about this word. Here's a man in prison and he's praying for a door to be open. But he's not praying for a door to be open that he may go free. It seems as though he's forgotten that. He says, I'm praying for a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm also in bonds. So again, you see, his great concern was let the word of God run. Would you turn to 2 Timothy and see the same spirit? It wasn't crushed after two years imprisonment and even being apprehended and taken back again. He says in chapter 2, verse 8, Remember, 
that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. You say, what do you mean by that, Paul? Well, he was raised from the dead according to Peter's gospel. It's the same raising, the same Christ. But Peter's gospel says he was raised from the dead to sit upon the throne of his father David. Paul says he was raised from the dead to sit at the right hand of God, Father of all. Oh, he says, don't forget, it's the same Jesus. It's the same resurrection. But the consequences may change according to the ministry. So you should remember that. Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. But the word of God is not bound. You can almost feel that irrepressible spirit, can't you, coming out. Of course, if you read it like this, Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. It doesn't mean anything, does it? But if he says, I'm in bonds, but oh, aren't I glad the word of God isn't in bounds, so I don't mind. You see, that's his point. So here it is. The emphasis upon the word. Now he says in verse 26, even the mystery, the mystery manifested, even the mystery which had been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. And when you get to the chapter 4, that's what he's after again. Verse 4, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. It has been manifested by God, and if I'm a faithful servant, I'll make it manifest too. Otherwise, you see, I'm declaring the truth, I'm putting up a veil instead of taking it away, so both times manifested is the word. And then we come back to chapter 1, verse 24, afflictions for the body's sake. We'll have to look at these in passing presently. But who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. This man's very much concerned that everything should be filled up. He's concerned that the word of God should be filled up. He's even concerned that the quota of afflictions that he must endure should be filled up. He says that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God in chapter 3 of Ephesians. There was no half-hearted ministry here. So we have the afflictions for the body's sake. And then he says in chapter 4, he's in bonds for the sake of the mystery. Those afflictions and bonds are two words you remember came together in our reading in Acts 20. Bonds and afflictions await me. So Paul wasn't disappointed. He said they were coming, and they did. But he had grace to endure. And then we have the uh, ministry and dispensation of God in 125 entrusted to him, and he speaks about fellow workers to the kingdom of God in chapter 4. And that is a word of warning to us, that although we do not believe what we call kingdom truth, that's only a label we've invented, because the emphasis upon the king and the kingdom when it's to do with Israel, nevertheless, it's a solemn fact that you can never get outside the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter what calling it is, heaven or earth, or halfway between the kingdom of Israel, or the mystery which was hidden, it's all a part of the kingdom of God. And you will find in Acts 28, when he reaches the very last verse, he's still preaching the kingdom of God, although he has turned his back for the time being on the hope of Israel, and they have gone out into their present blindness. Well, that is just to be sure that you have got before you a little idea of the next section we're considering. Well, now we come to the second half of this chart, which focuses attention upon chapter 1, verses 23 to 28. And we have the hope of the gospel in verse 23, 
and we have the hope of glory in verse 27. So it's an emphasis upon hope, the hope of the gospel, and the hope of glory. And then we have the emphasis upon ministry, verses 23 to 26, and the emphasis upon the mystery, verse 26 alone. And all the other features which you see there, you can be able to fill in as we go on together. Well now, let's come to verse 23. And it starts with the word if. And it's made some people a little bit hesitate. Because if raises a doubt. If. But if doesn't always raise a doubt. Oh no. If I go away, said Christ, I will come again. No doubt there. It's an if of argument, isn't it? We use the word if without the thought of a doubt. If so and so, then so and so. Yes. Now this particular expression here is translated, if so be. Would you like to turn the page to Ephesians chapter 4, 21 and see it there in a little different form? So far as our translation is concerned. The same word, Ephesians 4, 21. Verse 20 says, But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him, and have been taught by him. You see, he's not raising a doubt. He said, if you have learned Christ, then you've heard him and have been taught by him this truth. If so be. Oh yes. So he says here, if so be, that you continue in the faith. I'm coming back to Colossians 1. Grounded and settled. And be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Of course he says, if you're moved away from this, there's something radically wrong with you. So we go back to the first verses. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ for the will of God and Timotheus our brother, to the saints, and faithful. Oh, there were not only saints, friends, that were addressed here. They were faithful. And faithful ones are not moved away. If a person's all over the place, driven about by every wind of doctrine, is not reached the stage which is the characteristic of these folks. As Ephesians puts it, that you've been no longer children tossed to and fro, you've reached the status of the perfect man in Christ. So there's no thought that these people could be saved today and lost tomorrow. He's simply saying, well now, assuming that you've got this position, this is where you are. Now he says, on that basis, I can go on and tell you a stage further. So that, if you want to know the Greek word, it's E-I-G-E. E-I is often translated if. E-I-G-E is a compound which means if so be. Taking it for granted. Being assured that this is so and not raising any doubt as to the possibility that you might be uh, believing today and unbelieving tomorrow. How he says, this hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven. That was of understanding, doesn't it? Because if you limit it to the human species, every human creature under heaven, well, I suppose Paul wouldn't need to say that there wasn't a single exception in the whole Roman Empire and in the Middle East and all the all the countries around the Mediterranean that at that present moment had heard these words? Couldn't be, could it? I suppose that he means that so far as he is concerned, he got a parish that had no limits. This wasn't tarry at Jerusalem and give the witness there as the first apostles were told. Who oh, he says, I've got no limit. 
He planned, as you remember, his itinerary to Rome, and then he said, I want you to help me on my way to Spain. And in the early fathers, one of them who was associated with Paul, lived in the very period, he said he planned to go to the islands of the West, and at every likelihood, he was very much concerned about Great Britain. Did you think that? I don't believe Paul ever came here. But Paul knew that Claudius had named his son Britannicus because Britain had become a part of the Roman Empire in Paul's own very day while Paul was at Rome. And Caractacus, who was taken a prisoner to Rome with his wife Claudia, his wife Claudia was a Christian and she had a little church in her own house in Rome and it's possible that when Paul went to Rome they were the Christians that he met. And Claudia had a daughter named Claudia, named after the Emperor Claudius. She married a man who was a Roman soldier named Pudens, and believe it or not, Paul in the last verse of 2 Timothy chapter 4 sends greetings to Claudia and to Pudens, so there's a bare possibility that into our English Bible has come the daughter of Caractacus and Pudens, her husband. I say it's possible. But we do know this, that they were all agog with regard to the inclusion of Britain at the very time that Paul was ministering in the Acts of the Apostles. But he ministered under the, uh, during the reign of Claudius. Well now, we have the emphasis there, every creature, I think it means uh, that there was no limit set to his ministry. Wherever he could go, however far he could penetrate, he had the right, he was intruding on no man's territory. He wasn't building upon another man's foundation. He was sent with this ministry and the only one who had received it to take it to the very ends of the earth or to the extent of his own ability. And we are thankful that it's reached unto us. And we are glad that it's reaching unto others. We can say in the same way that the ministry which is being now uh, undertaken in this little chapel is to every creature under heaven. Not that we believe that so many hundred millions will hear it, but there's no limits as far as this tape recording service can penetrate to the ends of the earth, so far as we are concerned, there's no limit set. And men and women are being called and are being blessed and are being illuminated by the very words that are spoken in this tiny place in the, what we would call from our point of view, the very ends of the earth. So let's take courage and not despise the day of small things. Just seek to be faithful. Well then, he emphasises not only that, but he says, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Now, I think you're conscious, when you read the Apostle's own statement about himself, that he was a sensitive man. He wasn't one of these blustering people who got no sense and no feeling. I think he was a cultured man. He was a courteous man. He was an educated man. He was a Roman citizen. And I think it was distasteful, personally, to keep on saying, I. And yet, he would be unfaithful if he didn't say I. Because he would be then preventing the person knowing the one channel through which he could receive this truth. So you remember in chapter 3 of Ephesians, he says that I should illuminate all but you see how he, he safeguards it there a little bit. If you turn to chapter 3 for a moment. Verse 7. 
whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power unto me oh he says yes 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 unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I back he goes again oh he said I am less than the least of all saints but I cannot possibly hide the fact that it was unto me or we'll go on further in Ephesians 3 verse 9 and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery he said if you don't get it from me you'll get it from nobody else at the moment for I was the only one to whom it was revealed and I'm the only one to whom you must come to get the beginnings of it and we still do have to go to these prison epistles to discover what is the dispensation of the mystery what is its high calling what is its peculiar character but we're, we're glad to see that the apostle shrunk a little bit from keep saying I I remember all many many years ago working in a studio in Fleet Street and the friend who was an artist there designed his own card for the end of the year and quoted uh, a text from Galatians chapter 2 not I but Christ and he did what some ignorant people have done even in this day he used a small I with a dot on the top well of course that was wrong wasn't it but underneath he got in very small type keep the dot on the eye and that was his message for the new year keep the dot on the eye not I but Christ and the apostle Paul would have agreed with him yes he said let's keep the dot on the eye but he said I can't help myself but emphasize the fact that to me you've got to come for he revealed it to me and to none else that I should make it known so we've got the two sides so this man could say he'd serve the Lord with all humility that's lovely I think because if he wasn't a really humble man he'd never have said that would he but he was so humble, he never bothered. He said, I serve the Lord with all humility, you see. And I believe Moses wrote about himself. He said, now I'm the man, Moses, with the meekest man in all the earth. Well, nobody else would have cheek enough to say that about themselves, would they? If it weren't true. So there it is. That's the man who is the earthen vessel. And he says, I am made a minister who now rejoice in telling you these glorious truths about all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. He didn't say that he intervenes something which is rather strange who now rejoice in my sufferings for you sufferings oh he said don't misunderstand me the only sufferings that bring about your redemption is the, are the sufferings of Christ it's Christ in the body of his flesh through death will you acquaint yourselves with the words in Colossians 1 verse 22 in the body of his flesh through death but he says, in my flesh, verse 24, for his body's sake, which is the church, something. Isn't this extraordinary? He says, I'm not your redeemer. But I had such fellowship with Christ. And this apostleship that he gave me is no sinecure. He warned me at the very first time I received the call that if I became a chosen vessel unto him to bear his name, he would teach me how great things I must suffer for his name's sake. Would you like to see that for yourself? Acts, the ninth chapter, I think we ought to. The very beginning of his ministry, before ever it started, this was revealed to him. Verse 15 of Acts 9. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For, now that word for is explanatory. 
You say, why should this man suffer such a lot? Well, if you, if you think what he had to say, and what people he had to go to, the Gentiles, they were the, they were the Romans, and the barbarians, or the children, uh, or children of Israel, they weren't Romans or barbarians, but they were very bitter foes. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So he said, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. You rejoice in them? Well, he said, you see, I know that they're not without reason. They're not without a place. I'd like to, to compare two other passages while we're dealing with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9 onwards. He is t- giving them a little insight into the sufferings that, are, that were accompanying his ministry. So he says in verse 9, For I think, I think that God has set forth us, the apostles, last, as it were appointed to death. Now you may not know what he's referring to. He's referring to the system that was obtaining in those days when they had the gladiatorial fights in the Colosseum or other buildings of a similar character. They used to have the uh, sham fights for a bit and then they'd have animals for a bit, but the whole of the congregation were waiting for the one thing that was going to be the crown on the lot. The poor, miserable persons that were coming out at long last, who never would leave that arena alive. They were marked for death. That was the thing they were waiting for. That was that crying out for their blood. He said, I think that God has set forth us, the apostles, the last. As it were, appointed to death. And we are made a theatre. That word spectacle is our English word theatre. We are the theatre that they're all looking at. Unto the world, unto angels, unto men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honourable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour we both hunger and thirst and are naked and unbuffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labour working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we increase. We are made, entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. Can you get lower than that, friends? This is the glorious Apostle Paul speaking about himself. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. For though ye have ten thousand instructors in Christ, ye have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Now think of the temerity of the next words. Think of giving a summary of afflictions like he's given, and then say to them, Therefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Followers of me, he said. Uh, you couldn't keep that man down, you see. He didn't minimise his sufferings, but he says, I rejoice in them. Now in chapter 3 of Philippians, he asks for them. He said that I may know him and the fellowship of his sufferings, be he made conformable unto his death. But he put one other bit in that I have omitted, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Oh, the man would have been dead long ago were it not that he knew the power of his resurrection. So here was an exhibition to all men that the truth he taught had a very practical value as well as sounded very nice. Then there's one other thing that I think we want to keep in, the, into my, in mind, and that is found in 2 Corinthians 
chapter 12. And the fact that I'm going to say compare these two, I'm suggesting to you that you can only learn the meaning of a word in 1 Corinthians if you also discover its use in 2 Corinthians, because until you do, you haven't got all that he said about it. So here he's going to speak about it again. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan sent to buffet me. And he says it now a second time, lest I should be exalted above measure. The apostle was conscious that he himself might possibly become swelled head the more he thought about the fact that to him had been entrusted this wonderful revelation, the more he dwelt upon the fact that he had to say, unto me, who am less than the least of all the saints it's given, it might have made him proud. And it's a shocking thought to think of a proud Apostle Paul, isn't it, friends? It's bad enough to see it among ourselves. Us little number. But all to think of that man, boasting, except boasting in Christ. And so he said, I, the messenger of Satan, sent to buffet me, lest. He said it twice over in the verse. Lest I should be exalted above measure because of the abundance of the revelations that were given to me. So let's sympathize with this man. He said, I'm telling you, coming back to Colossians 1, that I had given to me this revelation. Now don't you start envying me, he says, unless you're going to share with the other side. And with that revelation of most glorious truth, I've had a continual reminder that I'm less than the least of all saints and I've been entrusted, not because of any worth in myself, but because of his sovereign choice. So now we come back again. Colossians 1.24 Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. I must leave that again and go back to Ephesians chapter 3. He says at the um, verse 13, chapter 3, Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Extraordinary, isn't it? See, chapter 3 is all about the fact that he was a prisoner and that he received the dispensation of the mystery and all that to come to him to find it. And at the end he says, Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you. That balance is, I'm the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you. Verse 1. Oh, he says, prison is a pleasant place, I tell you. It isn't. But it's for you. It's for your glory. It's for your blessing. So he says, I accept it and accept it joyfully. So he says, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind. What does he mean by that? Well, in the call that we received in Acts 9, he's told that as an earthen vessel, he was going to bear the name of Christ before Gentiles, before the kings, and before the children of Israel. And I will show him how great things he must suffer as a consequence. Because to go out into the world with that message, with a world as it was then and is now, is to just ask for trouble. But now, he said, when I was called on the road to Damascus, the dispensation of the mystery wasn't mentioned. Now, he said, I have to bear a witness which deals with 
even a closer contact with satanic dominion. I have to say to the epistle to the, in the Colossians, who hath delivered us from the authority of darkness. That's turning from Satan to God, as he said in Acts 26. So he said, there's no exemption from suffering, because I now receive the dispensation of the mystery. There may be even closer and deeper conflict because of the nature of the work I have to give. Now, suffering, its presence in this world, its purpose, and why it should be here, has baffled the minds of the best of men. I've got no answer to it. I can only see that the Apostle realised that it was one of those things, whether you can explain it or not, was a persistent friend and fellow with him until the end of his days. The only thing I rejoice in is it's under the control of the God of love and he has assured us that one day he's going to write the words no more across the lot, as we read in the book of the Revelation. But neither the three comforters in the book of Job nor anybody else since has been able to give an adequate reason and a supply why the persistent uh, continuance of pain and sorrow and suffering, except you could just say, of course, it's because sin is here. I must leave it at that. So this man didn't, as it fall, into an easy post. He didn't take upon himself this ministry because he felt he would like to. He was... He said, oh, he said, no, woe is me if I preach not the gospel a dispensation has been given unto me with all the consequences which he endured and which by the grace of God preserved him and his truth down unsullied to us. That I may fill up that which is behind or lacking of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake. <clears throat> Don't alter that, the afflictions for Christ. It is the afflictions of Christ suffered by his servant. You see, you get Moses. He, uh, what is it? He suffered reproach, reproach of Christ. And we have a tendency to <coughs> mean that it meant he suffered the reproach for Christ, which of course is true. But, I think we leave it as it stands. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. It wasn't Christ reproaching him, but he wasn't being reproached because he was simply Moses. He was being reproached because he was a picture of Christ. As Moses said, the Lord your God shall raise up a prophet like unto me. And so in his little measure he was being treated as the great one must be, must be treated later. And I think it's a word that we ought to remember. Every one of us that in any measure is taking a stand, anyone that stands for the truth, especially the truth of this epistle, Anyone that's associated with this witness carried on in the chapel of the open book. You can't expect you're going to be quite exempt from that which was an everyday experience of the man who first of all received it to pass on to us. We're not going to go out into the outside world and say, please make us martyrs. That's not right. But sometimes we have to remember that we are dealing with a foe and that foe will do his utmost to spoil our witness and spoil our work. And here it is. As the Apostle said, there is an open door, you remember, and many adversaries, they went together. The open door was set before him by the Lord. The many adversaries were there waiting for him by the evil one. Now he said, all this is being suffered for his body's sake, which is the church. 
his body's sake, which is the church. He used the same expression at the end of Ephesians 1, where it occurs for the first time in this ministry. And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. His body's sake, which is the church. He puts it two ways round. Comes to the same thing. The church, which is his body. The body, which is his church. And now he says, whereof I am made a minister. A minister. This word gives us the word deacon. And there's a big argument among uh, those who deal with etymology as to how the word deacon came to have a meaning. Because it can be divided up into two parts and means someone who runs through the dust. Diaconasi. Runs through the dust. And uh, it may be a symbol of a very lowly ministry that was sent on a message. And there weren't macadamized roads in those days. And he may have run through the dust many a time to take his message. But that doesn't matter. We've got an example of what this word ministry means by our Saviour's own use of it of himself. Before ever Paul was a minister, Christ was a minister. He said, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. And here's his servant Paul following closely in his steps. Did you notice when I referred to 2 Corinthians just now, when it spoke about the minister of Satan sent to buffet him, he said, concerning this I prayed three times that it might be taken away. Doesn't that take you back to the garden of Gethsemane? This man's saviour, this man's lord, Three times in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed, if it were possible. Oh, how he walked with his Saviour, didn't he? In his smaller degree. And then he said, most gladly, will I rather glory in my infirmities, for when I am weak, then am I strong. You see, we make a mistake sometimes when we go through all the things and make a list of the qualifications of the Apostle Paul had for his job. As I said just now. He had the dignity of being a Roman citizen. He was brought up in a university city and he, uh, in Tarsus. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He spoke Hebrew and he spoke Greek, you remember. The Roman soldier says, dost thou speak Greek? And you're going to speak to them in Hebrew? Oh, you see? He got all these qualifications. But none of them, or if they were multiplied, would have made him the apostle of Jesus Christ. He needed the grace of God the same as you and I need him. So he says, most gladly will I therefore glory in my infirmities, for when I am weak, then am I strong. So it was supernatural in that sense. Now he goes on to say about this church, which is the body of Christ, whereof I am made a minister. A minister, that's the word, and he uses it several times according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to complete. If you, if you look across the page to chapter 2, verse 10, you'll see the word, ye are complete in him. He had a complete Bible, this man, and he was speaking to those who were complete in Christ. As our Saviour said, you can quote the words, 
fill them up to the brim in the gospel according to John. That's where the apostle was aiming at. To fill up to the brim a complete Bible and a complete church. Now he says, this was according to a dispensation. This is the end of this little study this afternoon, approaching. But I must just mention that the word dispensation doesn't necessarily mean a period of time. Although, it must operate in time. We can't have any job to do that is outside of the realm of time. But uh, we sometimes speak of ages and dispensations. But do remember that the first meaning of the word dispensation is a stewardship. And the first occurrence of it comes in the Gospel according to Luke of the unjust steward who was told to give an account of his stewardship and that's the word dispensation. Now you divide the word dispensation up into its two parts. I mean the original, not the English. It's made up of two parts. Oikos, a house, and nemo, to administer. Part of the word that gives us the word nomos, the word law. It means the management of a house. And oikonomia has come into English, and we spell it economy. Same word. Now economy doesn't mean cheese pairing. It doesn't mean saving money. It means spending it wisely. Administering it wisely. So we have domestic economy, we have political economy, and we can have all sorts of economies. It means to administer the affairs of a house. And it's a stewardship. And the apostle said, I have received a stewardship. And that stewardship is to do with the church, which is the body of Christ. Even the mystery, which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. So here we have, at first hand, an emphasis upon the fact that the mystery is something that was hidden. Something that was hidden. What well, a very character of a mystery is something that which is hidden, and it's emphasised. And it's emphasised in Ephesians 3. By the time we're done with it, our Bibles are open at Ephesians 3, won't they? It says in verse 9, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God. This is something that was hid in God. Here he says that this mystery, which is hidden away from the ages and the generations. So it's hidden in and it's hidden away from. Two sides. It was so hidden that nobody had a, a, a glimpse of it till it was revealed to this man in prison. And he says, I am the one to make it known to you. And that's the reason why we have stressed the prison ministry of the Apostle Paul because we could not help ourselves if we were faithful to the charge to direct every searcher and seeker to that man's ministry not because we are magnifying Paul we stand with Paul and say who then is Paul? Was Paul crucified for you? No. He's only an earthen vessel but it's the blessed truth that was put into him that matters to us and so we have to accept the Lord's choice. Whereof I am made a minister, according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to complete the word of God, even the mystery. So, as I said earlier, those who do not know the mystery, while they possess a Bible that's complete, really do not possess it in the true sense. Which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now. What's that note of time? Well, we can't put a date on it. We can't say it's 
AD, whatever it is, because that was that's not possible. We can only guess. But we can say this, that here we have a note of time which says now and not before. If this is, if this is true, that up to that moment the mystery was a hidden thing, but now is manifested, then it's hopelessly impossible for anyone to say that you can read all about this mystery in the Gospels, you can read all about this mystery in the testimony of Peter, you can find it in the prophet Daniel or in the types and shadows of the tabernacle. That's not handling the word of God as it should. That's not believing what God has said. He says it was hidden until this moment and it was revealed to this man and is now made manifest. Well, he said in that case, as we came back to chapter 4, in my prison, I pray for a door of utterance that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. That's the reason why he felt it. Because if he fell down on this, if he failed, oh, what a responsibility. Earlier in his ministry, he stood alone, you remember, as we read in Galatians chapter 2, to whom we yielded subjection not for an hour. This man was conscious of the responsibility he had to be entrusted with such truth. Well, there we must stop for a time. We're only halfway through the subject, but needs must. We pick it up, God winning, next time we meet together and take it a stage further, but I trust we've seen enough to make it worth your while to patiently consider the testimony of the Lord's prisoner. So that is the testimony that belongs to this present time of witness.